0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Seems interesting too for those of you that are in numerology and scripture. And I don't want to go too far with that, but the number seven. But seven times he found no guilt in him. And then it says, Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now it wasn't like, Behold the man. Like, look, at this is the man of God right here. No. The man isn't capitalized in some of your translations to let you know. The man is referring to God. Jesus is God. But not because Pilate thought he was someone real special at that time at all. Basically what he's saying, okay, here's this guy. This is the guy you want. Look at him right now. Basically implying, do you want us to go further with all this? This is the guy. Here he is, all right? This is the man. So a little bit further, it says, so when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him. That's why there's that tension. Here's a man, basically, do you want to do this? No, to crucify him, yeah, we want to do this. Pilate said to them, well, then take him yourselves and crucify him. Why? Pilate didn't find anything wrong with him. Didn't want to get in too much of a hot seat, but at the same time, he wanted to appease the Jews, so he's kind of waffling there. For I find no guilt in this guy, no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Interesting. They want to keep some laws and break other laws. Therefore, when Pilate heard that statement, he was even more afraid. Now, there's some conjecture of why he was afraid. Some people say he was afraid because of the fact that uh, his wife came to him and said, have the gods have told me have nothing to do with this man their culture often said that when a guy was attesting to the fact that he had some supernatural power and of course you already know the history behind what jesus did before he got to this point healing people and all this stuff doing miracles all of a sudden there may be some supernatural quote mumbo jumbo from Pilate's perspective and so now he's afraid maybe he is the son of now they're saying he's the son of God maybe there is some supernatural stuff here what am I going to do what's going to happen here that's one conjecture it very well could be that or it could be that he's afraid he's putting him out and he's saying oh no man I thought I was going to solve this problem and now I'm really not this thing has really escalated now and there's a, be- a bit of fear in there I don't know where you want to go with your acceptance of it. You can just just be satisfied with the fact that as this began, Pilate now was recognizing what was happening, not that Jesus was God, but that there was an element of fear. When I was reading that, that element of fear, I got thinking about what I said to you last week and maybe reiterated again, that some of us at times, we, um, we count the cost of standing up for Christ, going public for Christ, and when we think in our mind, okay, I do need to take a stand right here. There's this like, we're, as Christians now I'm talking about, we go through this mental gymnastics to find out, okay, I want to do it wise, I want to do it right, maybe it's too soon, maybe I shouldn't do it right now, I don't want to do it. this is right. And we justify, or we try to justify why this might not be the right time, so we don't do it. And so more cases than not, we keep backing away and backing away and backing away, and we don't take our stand for Christ because ultimately we are fearful of, fill in the blanks, rejection, marginalization, being asked a question we don't know the answer to, it goes on and on and on, and so we do that. Now, I know a bunch of you are thinking, well, yeah, there are times you can't give the gospel. You mean every time at work, I jump on my desk and preach Jesus? Do I jump on the back of my pickup truck and scream at everybody on the job site? Jesus, Jesus, no, 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 I'm not saying that. But I am saying between you and the Lord and your walk with Him, you have to answer where you can go with the presentation of the gospel. How far can you go with what you have? We have a lady in our church, comes here. Her husband went home to be with the Lord this last summer. Comes about five months out of the year, then goes back to Texas. And uh, we try to spend a little bit of time with her and, our, with, and him, because they're not engaged, but not totally engaged in our congregation, because they come and go. But when we go out to dinner with him, when he was alive, and now he's gone, she took over this. We have never been to dinner anywhere. That at the early part of the dinner, when the waiter or waitress would come, she would immediately reach into her purse and she would have one of those Gideon New Testaments. And she would say, hey, I'd like to give you this. And she opens it up, holds it almost in their face and says, this is a little Gideon Bible. You wouldn't mind taking one of these from me. Well, when a little old lady comes up to you and says that, what are you going to say? No, I wouldn't mind. Let me have it, you know. And then she folds it in the back and says, it'll tell you how you could know for sure you can go to heaven just by trusting Christ. I have never seen anyone turn down that Bible a Bible, any Bible like that from her when she gave it out and she's done this every single time please don't come up afterward and ask me pastor do you do that? I wish I did I wish I was that bold so I wonder what is it going to cost me when I go public for Christ am I willing to pay the price and then let me back it down because we often think about that but we don't think about this what will it cost me If I don't go public for Christ, when I could have gone public. And that will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's the righteous judge, so he knows all of that. So the point of the matter is, when we are faced with the opposition to stand with Christ and for Christ, yeah, he can defend himself. You know, I just got to let him go, let him out there. But to let him out there, I've got to bring him public. So see what that works in your life like. I've been convicted of doing more in this life this week for me. Let's go to picture number four. Okay, Jesus was standing before Pilate in the crowd because Pilate brought him out. Now it's Jesus alone before Pilate. So it says, um, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus. So in other words, he goes back into his uh, fortress there with Jesus. So now the crowd's not there because the crowd wouldn't go into the praetorium. And he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, that's an interesting question because where are you from? Are you from, you know, Nazareth? Are you from Bethlehem? You know, are you you from heaven? And you came here? So where are you from? Jesus didn't really need to answer him because he'd already given him the truth wherever he went. So he kind of knew that he knew. So let's go a little bit further. See how he opens this up then. He says, uh, Hey, Jesus. You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus then spoke up and he said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts then to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you release this man... You are now no friend of Caesar. You're going to lose your job, maybe your life. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So if you're going to agree to him that he's a king, then you're opposing Caesar. So now he appealed to Pilate's um, desire to go up maybe the ranks of his authority or that his job would kind of promote him a little bit, or at least he wouldn't lose his head. Now let me go back to something that had said in there. I wanted to give you that in the context. A couple of things... Jesus does know that he does not come from here. He comes from above. Oh yes, he was born, but he was given. He was born as a human God, human here on this earth, but he was given as the son of God. So he does come from above. Although he had a birthplace, he does come from above. God gave him his son here for us. All right, that being said, in this passage, he very quietly then said back to Pilate, you wouldn't have this position unless I allowed you to have it. Now that's, very important for us to see that God is sovereign that means he is large and in charge but more than that he also not only is large and in charge but he is powerful enough to make things happen so he is authoritative because he's the authority but he also can make things happen so he's now saying you wouldn't be anywhere unless I allowed that to happen now, for those of you that um, want to take this crucifixion message and make it very applicable, but you already know what he went through, and you can go through all of this. You already got all of that. But you might have missed this. That means whatever position that you have, God either prescribed it or permitted it. So celebrate it and use it for his glory. Now Secondly, whoever is over you and over us, as bad as they might be, as Pilate or worse, God permitted that person to be in that position and we are in that person's purview in our life because God put that person there. The other thing about God is that he not only can put someone in, you know, thinking, okay, he can put him in, but he's lost his power to take him back out again. He's just good to start it, but he can't stop it. Scripture says that promotion comes from the Lord. He can take people up, raise people up, or he can take people down. So wherever you are right now, I want you to still remember that life is not out of control. God is in control for a greater purpose. And if you remember, this was so that you would believe. It didn't say believe what? It, left it, it talks about believe who or whom. That'd be Christ. But believe what? All of these truths are to be believed. Everything that the Spirit of God is teaching you, if it's the Spirit of God, will be accurate. and will be in agreement with Scripture and for us to understand. Now, there's something else that this passage shows us is attention, And that is that it says, now, the guy who delivered me upward to you, he's going to have it worse than the next person. Now, you're saying, wait a second, whoa, whoa, whoa. If God did this, then why did this guy have, be able to do this? It's because God allowed it to happen. Now, who is the person that delivered up Jesus? I, better, I imagine if I had a quiz in here, if we were a class, if I said, who delivered Jesus? Most everyone would say, Judas did. And I would say, you're right. My next question would be, who else? Who else did? If you remember, it was Annas and Caiaphas, and so they're all kind of delivering Jesus up to Pilate at this particular time. They all have their hands dirty in this thing somewhere. The point of the matter is, God raises people up, puts people down, but in spite of all of that, man is still responsible for So even though the whole gospel is God-designed and God-planned and God-purposed for God's glory, man still is partly responsible. Now, if you meet me out in the Lanai and say, how is that possible? I'm going to say, I really don't know. I I haven't figured all that out yet. But does that cause me to throw my Bible away and do something else with my life? No, not at all. In fact, the more I can understand about God, I want to know. But will I ever understand everything? I won't. And if I ever could understand everything about God that could be known about God, that God is everything, that I know, that He is, that He is that that I know, then He's not God any longer because some man manufactured Him. He is that big. Deuteronomy says that uh, there are secret things that belong to the Lord and there are things that God wants us to know. Now, be very careful with that because some people say, well, God knows that I don't and we close our Bible and we don't study anymore. I think there's a lot more God wants us to know than he wants to keep secret from us. And that's the wonderful journey of Bible study. All right, that's Jesus alone before Pilate. Picture number five, Jesus standing at the uh, Gabbatha there. Now, this Gabbatha... might be misspelled. Yeah, you got it up there, all right? Standing at the Gabbatha, that, that word is a word we don't use very much, but that word in the Hebrew means pavement or the stone pavement. So what's happening here? So All right, so he now does all this conversation with Jesus. Now he takes Jesus up to a place that's going to be more of a judgment seat area. Now we're going to see some heaviness come back on Jesus now. Beyond the whipping, beyond the mocking, beyond the putting of the thorns on his head. And as other uh, gospel writers said, they also put a reed in his hand and they slapped him all over the place. So they really mocked him. Now, go on to the passage. Verse 13 says, Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. Remember, he's in the fortress, so he takes him back out. And he takes him to the judgment seat at a place called the pavement. But in Hebrew, it's Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. Again, that's why the Jews wouldn't go into the fortress because they didn't want to be unclean. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, because he brought Jesus outside to them, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Now, I like that the translation put some exclamation points in there to give you the emphasis. But I want you to think more in terms of a mob yelling like one big chant. Have you ever been to a stadium or a, or a um, auditorium or maybe a place where they play basketball? One of those places, and everybody's yelling defense, defense, defense. How many? Have everybody heard that? Am I nuts? Have y'all heard that? All right, how many of you yell defense, defense, defense? All right. We all do that. This wasn't defense, defense. It's a way with them. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify And think of all the people. And some were really, but others were. Hey, everybody else do. It. I'm going to do it too. Whatever matters, they're still guilty. By that solidarity, away with him. But more than that now, go beyond the whipping. Take and be crucified. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And we're back to the chief priests, And answer answered, we have no king but Caesar. So then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So just think for a moment what's happening here. The more that this event unravels, the more sinful and wicked you see the people. And it reminds me that the closer we get to the cross, I know this may be a little bit more rhetorical, but the closer we get to the message of the cross, the actual message of the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, the more we not only read it as an event in history, but we read it as an event that's connected in history to something that's eternal because God is on the throne doing these things. more I'm, I'm seeing the reality of it and why it is all there, then I believe the more wicked we'll see ourselves. These guys never saw it. They were so wrapped up in what was going on, the adrenaline was flowing and politics was being played and didn't want to change and this was happening, that was... So much, I can't even unpack all of that. All of it designed by, propagated by the unseen world of Satan trying to keep Christ from doing what he's about to do in just a few hours. So I just wanted you to see, this is happening at that time. And I hope that maybe as we're opening up this message, this truth, reading God's holy word, that the Spirit of God is taking the word of God And I hope by your faith alone in him will change you into a child of God by faith alone. You'll be born again. You'll see your wickedness and your need for Christ to go through all of that for you, his amazing love, and this is for today, not just a history lesson that we do once a year. Go back to the passage. Now we're going to see picture number six, Jesus carrying his cross. Verse 16, it says, They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha now some of you are pretty astute we, those of you that are guests here I, I have to be very careful how I preach because people are on their phones and they're texting me or writing me during my message so when I get home I have to then clear up the things I didn't make clear I think some of you already read. You said so. Then Pilate handed them over to be crucified Ho- to Jesus to who? The chief priest? They couldn't do it. Remember, only the Romans could kill Christ. But now it implies here that the the Jews could kill Christ. So there's a contradiction there. Do you want to know? That stumped me too. I had to do some study. I had to go back to commentaries. I Had to read what is it? What what verb and 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 object of a of a of a verb tr- connects to this and how it all fit together? And here's my conclusion. Yeah, he did. Pilate give Jesus to the Jews to crucify him not that the Jews would actually be the ones putting him to death But this whole scene of events, he's now saying, okay, you're the one who started with this crucifixion thing. You're the one that's got to finish it. So I'm giving you this event, this activity to you. That doesn't mean they're actually going to do it. They're now going to pass it to the Roman guards that are actually going to do the crucifixion. So you have the Jews that are setting it in motion, the Romans that are actually bringing it to fruition. In reality, it's Jesus who's in control of all of that. So that's why it's okay to say he gave it to the Jews to crucify him, but the Jews didn't actually do the death nail and all that. They brought him to that point. But don't take too much away from that. Realize everybody has put Jesus on the cross by our sin. All right, so he carried his cross. And you know in other translations, the cross is a piece of wood, It's not very finely made like you might see this beautiful cross up here. Some translations use the tree. I don't know if it's just branches that are like a tree. I'm not really sure because there's not a lot of big trees like that there. There's not a lot for the amount of people that were being crucified during the history time that you'd find just the right one. So I do believe it was pieces of tree that were put together, maybe shaped somewhat like a cross, however they wanted to do that. But they were still, watch this, watch this, roughly hewn That means they weren't polished with varnish so it was nice and smooth. And so it says that Jesus couldn't carry his cross. Why not? Because he has all this other going on in his body and his life. And so he's now maybe carrying, I believe, what they call the cross beam. Puts it up on his shoulder and he has another person carrying the bottom part. We do not know exactly how much or how little. What we do know is that someone else had to carry the cross for him. But the cross was carried so it would be brought to the right place. So Jesus would be crucified. And that's what this is talking about. Place of the skull. Outside the city. Outside the temple area. Where people should die according to the Jewish people. The Romans agreed with that. So they did their crucifying outside the city where the people would die. Place of a skull. Not because there was a lot of skulls there. But probably more that the place looked like a skull. Picture number seven now Jesus being crucified so they crucified him and with him two other men one on either side and Jesus in between there's a great prophecy in that with Zechariah 12 and other places numbered with his transgressors being crucified, being pierced and we'll see that in a moment now crucifixion some of you know this, some of you are so new so you need to know this there is different ways that they would execute people in the Old Testament Bible days sometimes they would bury you standing up alive and they would tie a noose around your neck back to the horse and that would be it bottom line was the romans from the phoenicians i'm trying to keep the 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 dotted line a little closer now the romans from the phoenicians phoenicians starting this wanted to have a type of death of execution that would require more suffering than just taking a person's head off or throwing him off a cliff or whatever they would do they wanted to make it slow another reason the Phoenicians would do this is because they had this belief that the ground is is like mana like we would have here and it's it's, it's sacred and there's gods of all of this and so we don't want to have a dead body on the ground. And they would put him up on this this tree like structure and raise him up above the ground when he would die that didn't That doesn't fly too much with me, but that is in the history books. The point of the matter is it went on over then to the Romans. The Romans were, as you recall, they're uh, pretty diabolical, I guess is a better word than crafty. They're diabolical, and so they finished up with this idea of how can they bring about the most kind of pain, the most amount of suffering, the most amount of torture. And they felt like crucifixion would be the way to do that. The Jewish people, when they saw crucifixion and they would look at this, they would say... If someone is to be crucified, it's our way to show the most disgusting thing we can do by hanging a person upon a cross, especially when the Old Testament said that cursed is the man who dies in a tree. And so they really wanted to have it in such a way as that. And then finally, I think the Christian a little different. When I look at it, I don't look at the Phoenicians and they raised them up, or the Romans with their fine torture, or the disgusting way that the Jews would save a crucifixion for us you know when I look at the crucifixion and the cross I see the glory of it all we're saved by the preaching of the cross Jesus died on the cross we make a lot about his blood and we should but remember it's just blood what really happened was it was a bloody mess like the Old Testament sacrifices were, and it was the amount of blood and the torture and all the spilling of the blood that Jesus didn't die of a heart attack He didn't die of asphyxiation. He died a bloody death. So that's why the blood is so important as it connects itself to all that's said in the Old Testament. And so as I look at that, it's a horrible death. But for us, we are here today because of the cross. And so there's glory in that. And there's great majesty in that. And I hope that we would see how important that is. Well, let's go back to the crucifixion. I have listed here what happened at the cross during the crucifixion. You can pretty well read that yourself. Uh, Very simply stated, uh, it's not in that list, but is important. Either before Jesus was starting to carry his cross or after he got to the crucifixion site you have to understand that other passages of Scripture, they had already taken the robe off of him. They'd been already betting for his, you know, dividing up his garments, which I think is more of his underclothes, his undergarments. And then that robe, they didn't want to divide up with everybody because it was seamless and worth something. So they were betting for all of that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but just for you to have it now in the story because it's important. They kept it all together. They cast lots for it. They bet for that particular thing. I said all that to remind you, that was all happening after, watch this, Remember, they they whipped him, they put the robe on him, and how much time, three, four hours maybe, they were taking him through this process, and now they're ready to crucify him. So I want you to think of a nearly dried band-aid on your wet wound that is now nearly dry, and someone then ripping that band-aid off. So in other words, it re-exposed nearly all of the wounds that he already had. And that's just the beginning of all of this. So when they go through the crucifixion, The person that would do that, they would assemble the wood together, make sure it was tight. They grabbed the person's arms. Usually he's fighting if he could. I don't think Jesus fought because he was willingly giving his life for us. It's possible that even Jesus says, over here, move this bike. I don't know. But I know this, that he went through that for us. And the person who did this had done this hundreds of times, perhaps, driving in the nails. He's laying on the ground on this cross. The hole is already dug. The ropes are already attached. They're now pulling the cross up. It is now sliding and moving towards the hole. Jesus, as well as the other um, malefactors, that cross then falls into the hole. It's not just a little hole. It's a deep hole to be able to withstand all of the weight of a man. 100, 150 pounds maybe. The weight of the wood, another 100 pounds maybe. 250, 300 pounds. All of that at one time drops like a rock into a bottom of a hole, and when it hits the bottom, it stops immediately. It's not cushioned. And all that nail, all those nails in his hands are wrenched. And that's what he did for us on the cross. And you could read more of the details and how horrible this is. Picture number eight now. Again, I look at God's amazing love for us. And the pictures that John has left for us.